The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Goller. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler, and today we're going to be talking about breast cancer because it's that month again. So each year in October, all around the globe, we're reminded about breast cancer and we're reminded about the search for the cure. And for myself, having worked for almost 40 years in cancer-supportive care and as a cancer strategist, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, um, I'm almost 60 years old, so I was at the vanguard, actually, of what we now know as the think pink phenomenon. Um, historically, that means I've been able to witness the evolution of breast cancer and the awareness movement that's grown around it, and in particular with supportive care. Back in 1994, uh, I wrote a book. It was called Women of Silence, The Emotional Healing of Breast Cancer. It became a bestseller for its genre, and it was the first time that anyone had actually totally written a book for women, a handbook, um, if you like, that really mapped out the emotional healing path. It wasn't meant to be the cure for cancer, but it was meant to support the emotions uh, of a woman who was actually going through this process. And it was interesting, even back in 1994, that hadn't been named. So my book actually launched um, the cancer support movement in Australia, and in particular the breast cancer support movement, where I worked with over the years about four or five thousand women specifically who had breast cancer. So I learned a lot, and I I know from looking back at the first edition of my book that the words that I penned uh, back then for the experiences of thousands of women, and as I travelled the world and worked in England and Ireland and in through Asia, New Zealand and other places, that there was still this common thread that it didn't matter where women came from, that they still had all these same emotional issues and psychological issues in dealing with breast cancer. So in thinking about that and forming today's show, uh, we're going to talk about some uh, aspects of 
you know, how did the Think Pink movement come about? What does it mean? And uh, leading on from that, we're going to get some resources, uh, some tips, some thoughts on prevention and, uh, you know, where are we at now with breast cancer? So we'll uh, launch in formally uh, now to the show. And uh, just in uh, clarifying again, I've seen a lot of Breast Cancer Awareness Months come and go. Um, Remembering where there were no campaigns for any of the cancers, and really it wasn't all that long ago. If we take a look back at women's history, and uh, I usually like to do a little bit of extra research for the show because I'm a bit of a sticky beak and I like to know the origins of things. And I was thinking, you know, a century or two ago, what was the greatest cause of death for women in our society? Now, there's very little written about breast cancer. I do have a a record in Women of Silence taken from a book that was written in 1765, because I do like to collect old uh, medical books. And there is a page dedicated to breast cancer in that. But there's not a lot written about it. Um, The thing that interestingly, was uh, the cause of death of most women uh, back in those days was death by the hearth. And um, this was kind of an intriguing thought for me, so I read up a little about it. So, you know, in the days when women were in kitchens, in dingy kitchens, fireplaces, dangerously boiling colons, wood fires underneath, many accidents, of course, occurred. So there were spillages, long dresses often caught fire. um, And in the days of no antibiotics, many women succumbed to the infection associated with their burns and they died. Um... You know, so I'm reminded really when I take a look back how grateful I am to live in a modern world. Um, You know, we have so many mod cons these days that make our lives easier. And it's not death by the half today, but indeed it's the thing called breast cancer. Now, I was also searching along through Mr. Google and uh, stumbled upon some very interesting other statistics from 2011 that actually did surprise me, and it's a little bit related to death by the half. Um, I was unaware that around 3 billion people cook and heat their homes using open fires and leaky stoves around the world, so far as we know. So this is burning wood, maybe animal dung, crop waste, and also coal still and that nearly 2 million people die prematurely from illness attributable to indoor air pollution, in other words, from household solid fuel use. And men and women exposed to heavy indoor smoke are two to three times more likely to develop either a chronic obstructive respiratory disease or something related to a, um, a cancer. So clearly things have improved, but uh, gee, it's, we're still a work in progress. And the more I research, the more I uh, read, the more I realise this fact, and especially so in dealing with cancer and specifically today as we're talking about breast cancer. So that reminds me also of smoking as a cause of cancer and smoking as a part of impaired well-being. 
And uh, I found while I was looking through some of the uh, internet articles, just an amazing advertisement. Uh, it has a doctor on it, laid back, cigarette in hand, looking very professional in a tie and a shirt. And it says, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. And uh, wow, I thought <laughs> that's uh, not so long ago that that was out there in the public arena, that it was doctor smoke camels so it's safe and you can do it too. So uh, in current time, we now know a lot about smoking. So that commercial is almost laughable, but it's also quite sad because a lot of people who were in that era, and in fact, my own father lost his life to bronchiectasis and emphysema when he was 59. And that brings it home to me because uh, I'm 60 uh, in the next month. And uh, I think of how much life my father will be missing and has missed out on uh, during that time. But his um, death was directly uh, attributed to smoking and he'd been smoking since he was a young man and uh, about 15 or 16 and he gave up in his 40s but alas too late. Um, so this is one that we know is one big part of prevention. So when medicine and science sort of started to really evolve we understood the damage that smoking caused and yep the trend's reversing but it's still a little slow. Um, unlike the emergence from death from the hearth, you know, thank goodness now many of us have modern kitchens, but we know that certain lifestyle practices are damaging. And even when the evidence is there, many still ignore the warnings and engage in risk-taking behaviour or risk-taking lifestyle issues. Um, I often hear the statements like, oh, well, you know, it's probably never going to happen to me. You know, it's always someone else. Or I guess you have to die of something. That's another popular line. One doesn't want to sound really preachy about this, but, you know, I've, uh, from someone who's had a surgical accident and uh, had to really work hard to regain my health, I must admit I look at people who are engaging in some of those behaviours that are really going to impair the quality of their life, the passion for living and their well-being, and I really admit I kind of shake my head. Um, there's all kinds of reasons why human beings do the things that they do, but you know, our, the healthcare bill is really starting to um, reflect this and I think it's time we started taking back some power um, in how we live our lives, um, the choices that we make. Uh, sometimes, you know, even the socioeconomic uh, poor situation is not an excuse for, you know, being able to live better and uh, to stop engaging in some of those practices. I love to see people enjoying life <laughs> and uh, when you've had to work hard to get it back, um, I uh, enjoy seeing that even more. Um, the research on that is actually quite interesting with regards to tobacco. Um, very interesting in my groups, I see very few people um, who have actually been smokers and uh, 
they might have been smokers a few years ago, but these are people who tend not to seek my services. And I, I think that might be that people actually do think, oh, well, you know, I've been a smoker. I guess I took the lottery and um, I've taken the chance. So I looked up the figures on this because I was really interested for the USA and uh, tobacco use, according to the US-based Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, Tobacco use remains the single largest preventable cause of death and disease in the United States. They say that cigarette smoking kills more than 440,000 Americans each year, with an estimated 49,000 of these deaths from exposure to secondhand smoke. So I think that's a, a really important bit of information. Smoking-related illness in the United States costs $96 billion in medical costs and $97 billion in lost productivity each year. So I think that's a, that's a very good reason for us to start looking. And in Australia, the UK, and in third world countries too, where smoking is a problem, it is time to start looking at what we can do towards reducing the healthcare bills. Maybe it's not just up to our politicians to uh, make certain laws about that, but I'm not going to get political. Um, Worldwide, it was also interesting that smoking kills 5.7 million people a year. So we have this war on cancer that's been going for some time and um, the war on smoking is kind of just beginning. Uh, it's a difficult one in, in many ways because it does encroach on what people feel is their free right and free will um, to do things. But wow, you know, in today's world, these figures are alarming. And just in recent times in some of the groups, I have been uh, helping out some people, uh, one with ovarian cancer, another one with a brain tumour, um, who have been smokers and who started smoking very early in their life. So that's a new trend coming into my group because they're not the sort of people that I would usually um, I would usually see. So uh, we're going to be looking not only back at the history, uh, we're going to be looking at some of the things that we can actually glean from the history and some of the lifestyle tips that we can actually take um, from the experience of others. I'm a great believer in looking back at history. I think we need to know how we arrive at certain places in our lives. Um, I'm interested in tracing the origins of uh, social movements and trends. And from an historical point of view, I think it helps us, and finishing on this note before we go to the break, I think when we do this, it really helps us to develop an attitude of gratitude and to reframe the things in life that we simply take for granted. So we're going to go for a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the Pink Day fundraiser, how it all began, and uh, much more, as we said. So don't go away. We'll be back shortly with Navigating the Cancer Maze. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollarinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now... Back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, Grace Gawler here. And for our second segment of the show, um, with the advertisements that you've heard for my institute, the Grace Gawler Institute, we actually um, are located in Australia, but we have a worldwide reach and we do take patients to Germany. And we have a Cancer Patients Without Borders, uh, Meditour, we call it. It's a little bit like Medicine Sans Frontières, but for cancer patients. And um, this show actually is funded by the Institute. It's funded by donations to the Institute. And uh, we feel that the resources that we can provide to cancer patients, whatever level of um, you know, socioeconomic area that you are, that there are always resources out there. And if you can just find the, 
the the passion and the inspiration and the hope and the will to think that there's something out there that can help me. Um, our organisation really specialises in that, and we do help people to navigate the cancer maze. So please do uh, email me. We get lots of emails as a result of the show, and we've been able to help thousands of people um, around the world with just even a simple PDF that we can send. So please keep that in mind. Um, we're talking today about the, the uh, October Pink uh, fundraiser, Think Pink, um, all kinds of names it has now. And um, I was thinking also when I was uh, creating uh, the thoughts for today's show that when I attended a few years ago a, uh, as a guest speaker, it was a Think Pink Day, one of the long table um, luncheons, and I was the guest speaker. And I noticed I was leaving the event. We had lots of educational material there. Um, there were a few other speakers. It was a very good day, and I thought for awareness and education, you know, it was right up there. But I did notice when leaving the event that there were groups of young women who were treated to the garden outside to smoke their cigarettes. So I kind of thought, hmm, I wonder, you know, how much our message has um, got through so if you're a, a listener to the show, I, I think you can also become educators and not proselytizers, but just real awareness and education providers to other people. You know, give people some resources, lead them to listen to the show and um, some of the other resources that are around about today as well, because I think that's the way that we help the world go around. And uh, so are we winning? Every day, I think, in my work, I'm reminded of education and support, how much it's needed actually out there in the community uh, for health and wellbeing, and specifically in my area for cancer. I was interested to know when the actual um, public consciousness rose to the occasion to think about making a thick pick month. And... Uh, I did some research that turned up that the movement actually didn't begin with the people. The cancer support group movement throughout the world came from the people, um, patients who were recovering, patients who had skills that they'd learned along the way were starting to come out and, uh, and form groups and form the first cancer um, support group in Australia, in fact. So... Um, that was going on on one level, but on another level, I was really interested to know, it was 1967 when the Foundation for National Breast Cancer Awareness Month was actually laid. So it's actually well before my time of the um, early 80s when we first started doing our work in Australia. And the actual promoter, the, the thing that really caused the movement to begin was actually mammograms. Now, mammograms were found to be a really effective means of early detection of breast cancer. And this was hailed as a really great thing um, back in the early days. So it followed on then that the development and the promotion of the mammogram led the pharmaceutical companies to come on board. So we come in from the end of radiology and then the pharmaceutical companies. And they were keen to work on breast cancer treatments in earnest because once there was an improved method of diagnosis and early detection for breast cancer, it became an obvious follow-on. Well, if we're detecting it better now, we need to have better things to treat it with. And so that led to uh, into the early 70s 
And it was ICI Pharmaceuticals who began a series of tests and developments, and they created tamoxifen, which is a very well-known, still-used drug, famous drug, uh, for the treatment of breast cancer. It's a drug that actually blocks uh, the hormone receptors on breast cancer for breast cancers that are estrogen positive. That means they have estrogen receptors on the surface, which promote the growth, and that can be blocked with tamoxifen. And uh, that's become really the world's most popular breast cancer treatment, as I said, still in use today. So uh, then we go to 1985, and ICI pharmaceuticals morphed into what we now know as AstraZeneca. And uh, doctors were very well aware that too many women were dying of breast cancer because they didn't know about mammograms and they didn't know that that uh, breast cancer could be detected in this early way. So it needed a promotional campaign. It needed something to get out there and let the public know. Now, the cynical people will say, oh, yes, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and the radiation people, um, this was a big profit and money-making business for them. Well, yes, it probably was. But if you look on the other side, which is always a healthy thing to do, um, you can really see that those two implementations have actually positively impacted the lives of many women. And even from my groups back in the uh, 80s and 90s and so on, uh, many women are alive today thanks to um, the breast cancer being found on a mammogram and thanks to the drug called tamoxifen. So all things in balance, there's truths on both sides of uh, that particular argument. Um, so we go to October of 1985, and that was when AstraZeneca engaged in that pretty heavy advertising, and they did a lot of promotion of the importance of early breast cancer detection, and they, in fact, named the month of October as a National Breast Cancer Awareness Month during that process. So as time went on, the pharmaceutical company, um, AstraZeneca was aided by the two founding members of the National Breast Cancer Awareness Month Board of Sponsors. And uh, the people who came on board there as well was the American Academy of Family Physicians and Cancer Care, Inc. And they actually joined AstraZeneca in a week-long marketing and media blitz during the October of that year. And uh, so it has stayed with us and the board of sponsors has now grown. Um, apparently there's about 19 key organisations and foundations in the healthcare industry who are on board with Breast Cancer Awareness Month and of course a lot of smaller ones as well. Um, so while they all serve technically as official extensions of the National Breast Cancer Awareness Month brand, October has gone throughout the world now. It's embraced by all breast cancer organisations and by the public at large as the month for breast cancer awareness. Now, there's quite a bit of information on the web if you're interested to read more about this. But as we started out saying in today's show, um, it's really helpful to know the, the grassroots of uh, these movements because then we better understand where we've come from. And as we finished on the last segment, I think it does help us to develop an attitude of gratitude and to re reframe the things um, in life that we take for granted. If you were diagnosed with breast cancer back in the 50s, 
you know, you didn't have a, a really good prognosis. Uh, the later you were diagnosed, uh, the worse that prognosis was. So today we have a lot of women who are surviving breast cancer. And yes, the treatments have not been perfect. The side effects have been um, drastic for some people. But as I often say to my patient, you know, with the thing called cancer, there's often no free lunches. And uh, people do survive through it. And it's amazing what people can survive if they really want to put their mind to it and uh, look in every possible corridor. And we're seeing certainly these statistics are reflecting that people are surviving a lot longer with breast cancer and that there's a lot longer period in between when a person um, had finished their treatment and if the cancer came back. And uh, we know from speaking to various people on the show, and I guess comes to mind is um, RGCC's Dr. Yanis Papasatiriou, who I interviewed, I think it was in April um, of this year, March or April. You can actually look that up in the uh, guest list and, and listen to his program, which was fascinating, talking about how cancer behaves. Um, what is cancer? What is it at the molecular level? And we've heard on the show from many people and many different aspects of research, oncology, hematology, um, from the genetic and molecular research, what people's opinion um, of what cancer is. And I think, again, once we start to understand more about cancer, more about it at that molecular and genetic level, the more we can then um, empower ourselves, if you like, to make different choices, uh, to make more empowered choices, because there are new things coming onto the market. And many people think, oh, yes, you know, it's the pharmaceutical uh, people again. But I can tell you there's some fantastic things coming onto the market that are going to prolong someone's life. And we all hope in the future that there's going to be uh, treatments that are more available, that are less toxic, that are more targeted. It is starting to happen now, but it's happening only in small areas around the world. So we're going to come back and talk more about that after our break. Time always goes very quickly on this show. So we'll take our attitude of gratitude into this break as well, and we'll be back soon with Navigating the Cancer Maze. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options in implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. 
Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Gray Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.grayscholarinstitute.com or email institute at grayscholar.com. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at grayscholar.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Today we're talking about breast cancer and with Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we've just been through what that all means and how it originated. So uh, in this segment of the show, I'd just like to uh, move along. But before we start, um, I had, and I'd forgotten this, I was going to mention it earlier, I had an email last week from someone who says, what is a cancer strategist? Um, We've heard of many people working in the area of cancer, but what does a cancer strategist do? I referred that person to my website where you can actually um, look. There's a section on what is a cancer strategist. But basically, to be a cancer strategist, you have to have walked in a lot of fields. And uh, from my early background in veterinary medicine to moving through running a surgery, um, doing surgery in, um, in many cases, finding out about the anatomy, the physiology, moving into naturopathy, um, qualifying in a number of areas there, moving into counselling, looking at the people who have the cancer, not only the cancer itself, because that's a part of the division that we see, not only in breast cancer management and the whole movement of personalised cancer medicine is trying to bring together the cells of the cancer and and looking at it and saying, well, yeah, a person owns these cells. So we must never forget to look at the person and how we can help them. And 
connect those two. And that comes um, to a point of looking at increasing well-being in people that are being treated for cancer. So the strategist has to have a lot of different tools, a toolkit, um, a big medicine bag, and a lot of things that you can draw out. And to not be focused, um, I think this is really important, to not be focused just on one area, like as a naturopath, it would be very easy to be focused and have a, you know, a bit of a bent towards maybe alternative and complementary medicine. But to walk the middle path, and this is kind of a Zen Buddhism idea. Walking the middle path is a very healthy way to do this. I call it a best of both worlds approach. So a cancer strategist has to have had a lot of experience in all those areas. I think the other thing is when people who have done the quals and the training, and I think there's actually a lot of us around out there who have then had our own personal experience with a life-threatening condition. Now, when you add that component in, as the strategist, you really know that you've walked in the shoes of a patient and you have an empathy and an understanding and a compassion for the person who owns the cancer cells. So it's a bit of a trilogy. And um, I like calling myself a strategist these days because it brings together all of my experiences under one banner and the strategist therefore can help you the title of this show navigate the cancer maze and the cancer maze uh, the more components are getting put there the more complex the cancer maze is and it's a, a little bit like going into a, a, a swamp without a map. Um, say you, you're down in the Everglades in, for, in Florida and somebody says, okay, we'll find your way to such and such a place. Um, you have no map. Your iPhone's not working. Your iPad's not working. You're just there on your raw instincts of how you get there. And... Uh, that's really not a very good way to navigate the cancer maze. It's better to find someone who knows how to help you get through it and not to tell you what to do, but to guide you to say, yeah, well, this is a good idea. You could, you could do this. You could try that way. Um, and I think that brings out something very special within a patient uh, that they're actually empowered with the right information to make those steps. And we had a program a few weeks ago where we talked about those steps. The steps can be very critical on the path. And the more ill you are, the more a cancer goes from maybe a stage two to a three to a four, you know, very advanced. Every um, decision that you make at the crossroads becomes a crucial one and they become life and death decisions. And I see this quite a lot from um, people who have sort of waltzed through my practice and kind of gone off on a tangent and done all medicine and, um, you know, really got themselves into trouble, toxic, become toxic in their liver because of taking a certain supplement too much, etc. And it was a crucial point. And when they've come back, it's really been too hard to get them back on the path again. And it sounds scary and it is a little bit. And this is why we need the, we need the oncologists. We need the people who are skilled. We need the strategists. You need everyone you can get as well as the help from yourself um, to actually navigate this complex maze. So I hope that's, um, that's cleared that up for you. 
Um, so in my work every day, I'm seeing cancer patients, I'm emailing cancer patients, um, helping people all around the world, and uh, as a group facilitator as well, we've mentioned our Patients Without Borders um, uh, groups that we take to Germany, many of those breast cancer patients, and um, they seem to do very well at the German clinic. People often go to the clinics when they're very advanced, and uh, I think that we have an obligation, again, as that cancer strategist, that if a person does come to us and they make a statement that they really want to try to live, they really want to extend their life, um, that we have a right to um, help them. You know, it's like a duty of care uh, to help them and to help them navigate that, that maze, even when they are looking at a very, very poor prognosis. Um, so majority of patients I see are stage four with advanced breast cancer. So we'll just keep it to breast cancer at the moment. Um, many tell me that they've delayed their diagnosis significantly. And I find that's quite interesting uh, still in today's uh, time when that is the pink movement around and there's just so much information and awareness. But people seem to be still frightened of cancer. They're frightened of breast cancer. They're frightened of what it means when you get diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, many people said, oh, yes, I felt a tiny lump and I thought it was a lymph gland and that it would go away and uh, I tried to forget about it because, you know, they say most lumps that you get aren't. Um, and they said, well, after the event, you know, what really got in the way of them seeking help was fear. And um, fear, I think, becomes the great obstacle to our awareness in education programs because when we're in fear, we're in trauma, we don't want to listen, our ability to take in information diminishes and we're likely to miss that kind of um, helpful information that could lead us to be diagnosed. And uh, when you're diagnosed early, uh, these days, uh, there's just so many tremendous things that, that can be done and you can be a long-term survivor. Um, so early detection, I think, um, as medicine is evolving, is one of the things that's standing out as perhaps the most important. And if the breast cancer awareness movement can bring that to the forefront, um, still, I think that's fantastic. Because remember, that was its roots. That was where it started. Um, so the modern world, you know, I think we've got plenty of pollutants. There's uh, seems to be things. There's cancer-causing products and chemicals. And we're going to struggle continually to prevent cancer, no matter what kind of diet we have. And in particular, breast cancer, prostate cancer, these are cancers where we have a lot of um, fatty tissue in the body and there's a lot of material that gets deposited in the fatty tissue and that can cause irritation, inflammation, DNA changes, and when there's enough of that, um, actually cause a breast cancer. So... That's a given and many of the people that I see also will come and they say, but I've always lived well. Um, I've never drank too much. Um, I, don't, um, I don't smoke, never smoked. I'm on good diet. Um, I've cut out fats years ago. I'm even a vegan. I'm a vegetarian and I've got breast cancer. And uh, the, some of them are even exercising. I've had a lot of personal trainers. So, you know, it's more than the lifestyle. The lifestyle helps. And I think one of the most important things in the lifestyle change is that if you are diagnosed with a cancer, it's going to be easier and better for you along the path um, 
to recover than someone who perhaps has a lot of other DNA damage, maybe from, from smoking or working in a, a, a polluted environment. Um, so there is a big advantage, but it's not going to be the thing. And, you know, a lot of people write books and say diet cures cancer, etc., etc. But in my experience, it's an adjunct. It's an important adjunct, but it's an adjunct. And um, a lot of the dietary material, you know, is not going to make changes down to that molecular level and DNA level when we've got causes out there in the environment, such as those chemicals. So to live as consciously as possible, uh, whether you're a cancer patient or a non-cancer patient, I think is, um, has a view towards uh, health promotion and certainly um, prevention, and in this case, breast cancer prevention. So we can't avoid everything. Uh, last year, I had Fran Drescher on the show, and that was a fantastic interview. Um, she's a great promoter of early detection through her uterine cancer experience. And Fran in the interview said, and for most of you, I'm sure you know who Fran Drescher is. She was very famous in The Nanny and more um, recently in Happily Divorced uh, with her ex-husband. Um, Fran actually uh, looked around for a couple of years before she found someone who could actually diagnose her. So this was a little bit of the opposite. She knew something was wrong, but she couldn't get a diagnosis. And uh, fortunately, even after two years, the cancer was small enough to actually be removed. She, um, she had a hist total hysterectomy and she's been in the clear and paid a lot of attention now to her lifestyle. Um, she was persistent. And that's another important quality for working with the uh, cancer recovery. Her website, cancerschmancer.org, um, is really good. Um, take a look at it. Got a lot of tips on there for cosmetics and, and cancer prevention and health promotion. So we're coming up to, yet again, another break on navigating the cancer maze. And we'll come back and talk about some of those options that are around today for women who are dealing with breast cancer. Don't go away. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute, as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Scholar Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollarinstitute.com or email institute at gracegollar.com. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvang-clinic.com 
That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G dash clinic dot com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Goller Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options in implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Goller Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to our last segment of today's show, Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler. We finished our last segment talking about uh, Fran Drescher and her organisation, Cancer Schmancer. I think there's a lot to be said for organisations like Fran's. It's great that she's a celebrity. She's gone out there and put her name to an organisation that is really on about prevention and early diagnosis, early detection of cancer. Uh, I think it's great to have the huge organisations that are out there and are fundraising and are doing the research for the drugs and uh, the improvements, etc. But I think it's very important. Small is beautiful, as uh, Schumacher wrote. I think it's very important that we have lots of small organisations. So seek them out in your community and seek out organisations where you can get real support if you're going through breast cancer. Um, Get to the websites, look up the cancer support um, uh, groups that are right throughout America. Look for the ones that are focused with uh, actually being proactive and getting out there and and doing things in this um, very exceptional way. So that's um, cancerschmancer.org and you'll find there's a lot of info there. Now, in looking at breast cancer in particular, um, I'm hoping in the next few weeks to have someone on from EWG. Um, That's the Environmental Working Group, EWG.org. They have also a fantastic list of cosmetics and uh, skincare and and other products that we might use every day that are actually not got good substances in them. Um, This is information that's been discovered through science and research that some of these things we thought were okay in the past actually have cancer promoters in them and in particular hormone disruptors, which um, are known to be a part of the walkway of developing breast cancer. So I think we can learn to shop consciously. Uh, Shopping online now, it's a lot easier 
to shop consciously. There's a lot of choice out there. And yes, there's also some devious um, things out there as well on the web. But EWG's uh, um, collated um, amazing like there's thousands of products in there. Um, that is really worth having a look at and just seeing, okay, well, I use that product all the time. Let's see what's in it. And um, there's a grading that they actually have for that. So that's something that you can be easily proactive with. And again, without paranoia, without using fear, but just making a conscious choice, I think I'm going to switch brands for doing something. They've got quite a big campaign on at the moment for two companies, which I won't know. Uh, you'll find it on the site if you have a look, um, who have not taken those particular cancer-causing um, hormone-disrupting substances from their products. And they're bringing that to attention and working on a petition for that. So they're doing a really good job, as Cancer Schmancer is, and they seem to be a small group. Um, so I think we should uh, look after groups like that. Um, and, of course, use their resources now, in looking at um, breast cancer, I think over the years, we can look at the improvements in the scanning techniques. These days, there's not only mammograms. Um, mammogram might be a first place to start. There are some um, operators that are using a heat diagnosis uh, machine. I have uh, the jury's out on that for me because I have had patients who've gone through that process who actually have had um, a cancer that was missed and um, that's most unfortunate that that can happen. So we've got machinery and we've got operators and we've got people who report on those things and uh, there can be a bit of human error in that too. So PET scans today, um, they're kind of at the top of the range where you can actually look right through the entire body and it will pick up any cancer down to a very, very tiny degree. They're expensive. Um, we have MRIs, um, we have ultrasounds, and ultrasounds are not a bad first, um, first port of call. If you've been having any type of scan for breast um, management, detection, early detection along the path, I think it's a good idea to try to stick with the same one because if you started uh, maybe with an ultrasound 10 years ago and you're having one every year, um, you will pick up likely more information about changes that are in, in breast tissue. So even if you type into Google, I just did this out of interest, and um, types of scanning for breast cancer, cancer, there's a heap of information that comes up. So be informed because when you then go to your doctor, you can say, oh, yes, I read about this and I know about it. And uh, this would be a, a scan I'd like to have. Can I have it? Uh, surgery techniques are getting better and better. Um, the control and spread of cancer through surgery or, or poor biopsies really is, is starting to be more a thing of the past. Um, Chemotherapies uh, are changing. There's now the thing called metronomic chemotherapy, which some clinics and uh, hospitals are practicing, which is the timing of chemotherapy. Um, the substances are changing. So, you know, don't think, oh, poor Aunt Bessie, you know, I saw her die of chemotherapy, bald and vomiting uh, 20 years ago. It's different now. And as the drugs are becoming more and more sophisticated, it's not that they may have no side effects, but the side effects are very lessened. And let's face it, the, the option of not doing anything is, um, is not really a good option. So no free lunches, but the uh, chemos are definitely getting better. Um, we've got antibodies, monoclonal antibodies, um, some of the things you have to pay for these days. But again, 
educate yourself so that you know what you can ask for. Um, learn about trials in breast cancer. If, uh, if you'd like to have something just uh, that's too expensive, you can't afford it um, and it's not on the health system, see if you can get yourself on a trial. Uh, hypothermia is being used now in a lot of clinics alongside radiation um, for improved uh, treatment after you've had your breast cancer um, surgery and uh, maybe even your chemotherapy. Please listen to the interview with Dr. Horst Lindhofer that I did a couple of months ago. Um, he's in Munich, he's from Trion Pharma, and he's made the new generation of antibodies. And these are the antibodies we talk about with um, association with the Halvan Clinic in Germany. Unfortunately, in America, they're only available at the moment for, um, for ovarian cancer. Um, and I think that's only new or at end of trial. But uh, these particular antibodies are very, very helpful for breast cancer. And if you have a look on the website, um, the other website this time, germancancertreatments.com, on the testimonials, you'll see some videos there of some clients from Halvang who have used these particular antibodies. So they're new and they're going to merge in with chemotherapy and surgery and maybe even take over a little bit. It's a very, very exciting field. Um, radiation, uh, important to mention that the techniques also have changed a lot. It's now more targeted. Um, ask questions about it. If you uh, want to have a look at a list of questions that you might ask about breast cancer when you go to a doctor, we have uh, The Women of Silence is now produced in an ebook. That's The Emotional Healing of Breast Cancer, but there's also information in there on a very practical level of what questions to ask your doctor should you be diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. So we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, please remember the New York Marathon. We had Dr. Julie Cruz on uh, recently, our Navigating the Cancer Maze, and she talked about her marathon. Cancer is a marathon and not a sprint. How true is that? So on the Institute's website, uh, we have a section there where you can donate uh, to Julie's run, and that will help bring Voice Americas uh, to your um, navigating the cancer maze at Voice America to your computer uh, for many more years to come. So that's one of our main uh, public uh, awareness campaigns is to use this show to talk to people all around the world to help them navigate the cancer maze. Now, when we come back next week, uh, we're going to be talking about something that's come from the breast cancer movement and these better treatments, and that is surviving survival. How do you survive survival after you've been through the experience of breast cancer? So that's the contribution for our October Breast Cancer Awareness Month next week on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I look forward to being with you then. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone.